Welcome to Keep You 100 Radio. I'm your host, Felicity Pointer, type 1 diabetic, certified health coach, personal trainer, and founder of Needles and Spoons Health and Wellness. Inside this podcast, you'll find the real and raw conversations around diabetes management, including the lessons that we don't learn in our endos office, my best tips and trainings, and conversations from the experts that I trust inside the community so that you can create more predictability in your diabetes management and feel empowered while doing so. Let's dive in. Keep 100 Radio is brought to you in collaboration with SkinGrip, the only patch company that I trust with my diabetes devices. I started using SkinGrip about two years ago, and before I found them, my Descom would last maybe four or five days before falling off, making it really hard to lift weights, hike with my dogs, or just wanting to do the everyday things that I love. But now I can confidently travel, work out, and navigate life with diabetes without having to worry about dealing with insurance more than I have to, begging for replacements, and resorting to finger pricks. Plus, I'm in love with their mission to help us live fearlessly with diabetes. You can check out SkinGrip at SkinGrip.com and save 10% on your order by using the code LISSIE, L-I-S-S-I-E, at checkout. What is up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Keep You 100 Radio. I'm really excited for today's episode because we're going to be talking about, we're going to be having a really good conversation about inclusivity, representation inside of the diabetes community. And on today's episode, we have Taylor Danielle. Taylor Danielle is a podcaster and streamer whose core belief is that you can carve your own path. Unafraid to stand in the gap, she started her podcast, Healing in Hindsight, after noticing that there weren't many millennials of color that she'd connect or relate to. Being of Black and Thai descent, she was diagnosed at 25 with type 2 diabetes. She found the transition into managing her condition difficult. Her hope is to have thoughtful conversations about how anyone living with diabetes can thrive by finding a way to manage that fits them. Outside of that, she's also a streamer on Twitch, playing a variety of games or simply sharing her thoughts. Welcome to the show, Taylor. I'm so excited to have you. Yeah, so excited to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Of course. Do you mind giving us a little bit more insight into who you are, what you do, where you're from, just all about you? Yeah, um, I typically like to tell people I'm your new favorite Blasian. Um, That's usually my introduction with random strangers, (laughs) Uh, just because I grew up, uh, you know, with a very extreme mixed culture of my dad being from Shreveport, Louisiana, and my mom being from Chiang Mai, Thailand. So um, I had a bit of extremes in my household, but like in a cool way. Um, So I feel like my character is very much a mix of those crazy elements. Uh, I'm originally from the Dallas-Fort Worth area, uh, born and raised Texan, uh, and I just decided to only go three hours south to Austin. Um, So hopefully I'll change that and and move somewhere else to experience another part of the world, but uh, still Texan till I die. And yes, I am a Cowboys fan, even though every year I have to give the obligatory, we're going to go to the Super Bowl and we have yet to since like 97. So (laughs) um, in terms of like what I like to do, huge nerd. Um, So if I'm not watching a random anime show um, or playing video games, uh, I'm probably reading or tweaking something. You know, I I loved doing art. Um, I thought that was going to be my career, actually. So drawing, painting, writing, all of those kind of creative things uh, I love to get into. Um, Let's see. I am 30. I call it 32.0, but 32 uh, recently turned. It doesn't feel like it at all. I feel like I still look like I'm 19 and I'll take it uh, when people card me everywhere I go. And yeah, I just, um, I'm just a really optimistic person, even though uh, sarcasm is my favorite language. <laughs> and so you'll find that a lot with me is uh, I probably should have been a stand-up comedian in another life. I just don't have the energy to do it all. Um, but I do consider myself like a multi-passionate entrepreneur because I don't like the idea. Uh, and I never have ever since I was a kid that 
you had to be in one box and we were raised to always be in one box of like, you need to find one thing that you're good at, get really good at it, go to school for it, get a job, retire in it. And that's all that you ever do. And that just sounds hella boring. So I like to put my hands in everything. So with the podcasting, it's one angle of my life with, you know, streaming on Twitch. That's another angle of my life. Um, but it's not even close to the things that I like to get myself into. That's so true though. I feel like we have to, we grow up kind of thinking that we're good at one certain thing. And then we turn 18 and we're like, all right, might as well go to college for this and then do that for the rest of my life. And that's not the age to make me making that decision. But um, so actually, unlike a lot of our guests on this podcast, you are actually type two diabetic rather than type one diabetic. And I find that's just more of the community that I work with. So most of our guests just kind of fall into that category. So do you mind walking us through a little bit about your journey with your diagnosis with type two, just your experience with it? Um, Yeah, just everything that might fall under it. Yeah. Um, So type two actually starts when I was about nine or 10 years old because my mom was diagnosed uh, with type two um, at that age. I didn't fully understand it. It's not something that they, you know, sat down and had a conversation with me and uh, my older sister at the time. Um, I just knew that peanut butter and jelly tasted weird because I didn't understand that the jelly was sugar free. Um, So everything was sugar free, Uh, ice cream, you know, anything at the time that was like huge when sugar-free, um, you know, for all the nineties kids, <laughs> like that, that's when it really like made its first wave. Um, and so I, I didn't understand it. I had glimpses of moments with her. I, I've even to this day, I've never seen my mom check her blood sugar. Um, I just saw medication. I just saw, you know, your mom has to have these certain things, um, that kind of thing, but it never changed my diet or, or the rest of the families. It was just like noticing certain things. Um, And then fast forward to, I want to say late high school, maybe even going to early college, um, my dad was diagnosed. And again, there was no information on, hey, this is what's going on. I, you know, rarely saw him check anything. I just noticed he was taking a lot of, you know, what looked like both uh, prescription meds and then supplements. And I'm like, hey, dude, you're literally pulling out these like prepackaged things of pills, like what is going on? Are you trying to like prepare for a triathlon or something? Like what's happening? And he's like, oh yeah, I have, I have type two diabetes. I was like, that's news. Okay. Um, and so at the point that both of my parents are now diagnosed, um, and having, you know, lived on my own for a little bit, uh, you know, doing the, the college thing, um, it started to take a toll because I didn't finish school. I did about two and a half years and I got really burnt out on it. I, I, you know, have dabbled with the idea of going back, but the the college school system, that's a whole nother story and rant for another day. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, I'm, I'm working full time. Um, I was at my heaviest at like 215. I was in uh, a relationship with a basketball player, basically, um, or at least he, he played all through college and he's got that build. So he eats anything and everything that he wants and nothing ever happens. And then on top of that, it's like canned and frozen stuff all the time because he's a super picky eater. So, you know, I'm, I'm recognizing like I can't catch a break when it comes to losing any weight, when it comes to trying to get myself in a healthy place, like something's got to give. And so something crept up in my mind in 2014 to talk with my dad about his diabetes. So I was visiting home in Dallas uh, where my parents currently are. And I was like, hey, dude, like, what did you how did you know 
that you had diabetes. Um, I've heard of it. I actually only heard of it from a type two since I wasn't actually very familiar with type one, let alone any of the other types that have, have surfaced lately. But, you know, he was telling me about the symptoms that he experienced of like, you know, the, uh, the thirst, the thirstiness and, and leaking everywhere it felt like, like from your eyes and all that kind of stuff like that. And just feeling so tired all the time. And the funny thing is, is that he was diagnosed by accident. Um, really? The company that he works for, he works for one of the biggest optometry companies in the world. So if you ever looked at OptiFree, um, my dad works for the company that makes it, right? And so they do this big health fair and they have the employees go to different booths. And by participating, you get points, you get points, you get to buy stuff, basically. So he's just going around doing his thing. And they had a booth set up to do uh, blood testing and all of that. And it included getting like your A1C and all that stuff like that done. So he does it gets his little card stamped or whatever. And then he said like, like within a day or two, they were like, Hey, you need to come to the doctor's office. Like immediately. <laughs> and he's like, okay, cryptic. Um, and goes in and finds out that, you know, I don't remember what the exact numbers are, but he was off the charts in terms of his A1C mm-hmm. and his fasting, you know, uh, well, I don't know if his fasting, but his glucose levels were, were crazy. And so that's when they immediately got him on uh, metformin. And I think they also, his blood pressure, I think was also high. So they put him on some type of statin uh, as well. And so when he explained those symptoms to me, um, okay, well, if you and mom have it, and I even asked my mom later, I was like, hey, is diabetes a thing? She's like, yeah, it runs on your grandma's side of the family. Uh, My grandmother was on dialysis. She had a whole pharmacy in her house. I remember um, when I was a kid, I had no clue that diabetes was even a part of it, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, And so that just triggered something in me of like, okay, I need to get my shit together because if not, I'm going to be right here with them. And everybody says that diabetes is preventable. So this should be, you know, what I thought was a no brainer. It was not. (laughs) And I spent that whole year doing fad diet after fad diet on and off, uh, working out, fighting with, you know, wanting to go out and party and still drink, you know, like you do in your twenties and, um, you know, you don't realize your metabolism slowing down when you're sitting at your desk eight hours a day versus running around on campus all the time and all this stuff. Um, and then you have a partner that is weird about how he eats and it's too expensive to buy separate stuff than just to eat what he has together and, and all that kind of things. So I went to the doctor and I'm like, hey, I want to check into this. Both of my parents have it. Like, I didn't know what the name of the test was. I was like, just do the things that helps you discover if I have diabetes or not. Mm-hmm. And you know, I I feel bad saying this, but it's just the reality of what I've experienced. I typically do not like to go for male doctors. Um, but at the time, I hadn't really established a full care system. It was just like, hey, do I have insurance? I'm still 25. Cool. I get to ride mom and dad's insurance for a little <laughs> longer. Let me just get what I need done. Um, so I picked a doctor that was the next available. He just happened to be male. And he monologued the entire appointment when I shared what my concerns were. And he was talking on random stuff about nutrition while he's doing things and checking things or whatever. Um, but he never really answers my question of like, should I be concerned about diabetes? And will you give me the test? And after he does all these checks, he's like, I don't really think we need to to do that. And I'm like, okay, no, but like, give me the test. <laughs> because mm-hmm. even if you don't think we should, it would be nice to have it on paper that we did the things and I'm good. Um, And the fact that I even had to push for that agitated the hell out of me already. So we do, and I'm fine. All right. Uh, The following year in 2015, in November, um, probably about from actually September 
to November. Uh, I am having crazy thirst. Um, it was to the point where I had to sleep with a water bottle under my pillow because I was so dried out. Um, I was having faint spells. Um, I actually fainted in the shower. And thankfully, the guy I was dating at the time was there and was able to pull me out. Um, and I was out for like two minutes. <laughs> and I still went to work. Don't know what the hell I was thinking, uh, but still went to work and I was having all, you know, I was working nights, all these kind of things. And it was like, I'm hungry all the time, but then I'm not. And I'm gaining weight still, but I'm drinking all this water. I'm in the bathroom every five seconds. My, you know, either my left eye would be leaking randomly or my right eye would be leaking randomly. Didn't know why. Um, didn't really have allergies at the time. And finally, after a final fourth faint spell, I was like, okay. I started Googling things. And as I'm Googling things, I'm starting to remember this conversation that I had with my dad. And I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> like, I just instantly knew, I was like, ah, this has to be it. But let me yet again go to the doctor and see what's up. And I was very diligent this time in who I selected because I made sure that that last doctor, I was like, I never want to see him again. Um, so I found um, a female doctor. And told her everything that was going down. And she was like, mm, yeah, yeah, I could see how that could be the thing. Let's go ahead and get you tested. We can rapid, you know, speed up the results, whatever. And I do the urine test. And she's like, just from your urine alone, you have so much sugar. So I'm pretty sure that it's diabetes, but we're still going to, you know, do the, the we're still going to run your blood test. Um, and so I think I was at like 13.8 or something like that. Or my fasting blood sugar was like almost touching the 400s and um, immediately put on metformin. And it was kind of surreal because she was like, you know, you're young. I was 25. Um, we, we, maybe we caught this early. So maybe metformin is the only thing that you have to be on. Um, and there could be potential of like reducing how much metformin you have to take. Cause we're going to start you off with like 500 milligrams. Um, and then we're going to work you up to basically 2000 at some point. Um, so it was really, it, it was one of those disappointing moments. Cause you're just like, I tried to prevent this. Um, but you know, here I am. And, and it, it led to this kind of psychological beat down of, you knew and you didn't stick with any of the plans that you had. You spent all this money on supplements and all these other things, but you didn't stick with it. Um, and now you're here. And you still have a chance to, to take it back, if you will. Um, but you really need to work hard to do that. Um, so, yeah, it was, uh, it was frustrating because it was just like I was trying to avoid this. And to come fast forward now and learn that that might not have ever mattered. I could have done everything right and still would have ended up there. Um, but it was kind of hard because I got the download of what to do after I was diagnosed, you know, from my dad and from my mom. Um, and I can't help but wonder like, Hey, why didn't you teach me and my sister what to do if something happened with y'all, you know, or, um, get us tested for it when we were still, you know, in school and going to doctor's appointments. And maybe they did. I just didn't know it, but I don't remember doing a blood test. Um, you know, those kind of things. So it, it was, it was a lot because I became a statistic that I didn't want to be. Right. But I also feel like, first of all, thank you for sharing your, your story because I feel like a lot of people can relate to it, whether they're diagnosed with type one or type two. And I almost feel like that, that um, advice of like, oh, you can reverse this or the reversibility of type two. I feel like 
doctors try to give that as like a hopeful, uh, you know, here's something to look forward to, or here's something that you can do, you can control it. But in a way, I feel like it's almost damaging in a way because of that whole mindset of like, oh, I either have to work to not get there, or now I have to put my body under all this stress to reverse it. And maybe it's just how we're taught to go about it. Like, you know, I feel like we're taught, you know, lose weight or eat healthier or cut carbs or exercise every day. Cause I've had several clients who were misdiagnosed with type two and their first instinct was, okay, I have to go for a run every single day. I have to, you know, only eat whole foods or only eat XYZ. And by the end of it, they're exhausted, not only because they're misdiagnosed, but also because like, that's no way to that's no way to treat your body under any circumstance. Yeah. So did you ever feel like in that diagnosis because of that? I feel like there's just a big stigma in general around diabetes. Like when you hear that word um, and like even myself, when I was diagnosed with type one, I was really confused because nobody talks about type one or type two, how they're the same, how they're different. We just hear the word diabetes and it's almost this like demonized word. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm wondering, like, did you ever, did any of that ever pop up for you? Did you ever, uh, you know, get misrepresented by that stigma or hear anything from friends or family? Um, I know that you already had the experience of seeing your parents. So maybe that helped in that way, but yeah, I just want to hear your experience. Yeah. Uh, one instance that actually pops up for me, uh, fresh off of that, it actually wasn't me, it was my mom. Um, you know, my dad is now uh, on insulin Um, and something that comes up heavily in the type two community is insulin is used as a threat and not as this is something that your body naturally makes. We need to ensure that you have enough of it in you to do what it needs to do. And that's why I'm giving you this. Um, my mom was threatened with insulin when her numbers weren't coming down enough and it, it, it worked. It psychologically kicked her into high gear and she went on this very strict kind of setup of, you know, no more than, uh, four, uh, four grams of sugar and, you know, only so many carbs, things like that. And she ended up coming off half her meds, which I was like, Hey, super proud of you for that. But later on, I'm like, how kind of fucked up is that, that they just told you that the only way that you're going to be better is if we put you on insulin. Now, my mom doesn't like needles at all. So a shot of any sort, um, is something that triggers her and she she wants to avoid that at all costs. She wants to figure out is there any other way that I can do this without a shot of anything. But for insulin to be something that is so known in some kind of way in, in diabetes management and to use that against someone as a motivator um, is something very common in the type 2 community. Um, I was never taught about, A, the differences between type 1 and type 2. I kind of learned it on my own. Um, And what I did learn was, okay, they don't make any insulin, so that's why they have to take it. But where I have the advantage, as I have been told, um, is I'm still making it. I just have so much in my system, my body is resistant to it. So we need to make you back sensitive so that way your pancreas doesn't overwork itself and eventually blows itself out to where you do have to manually inject insulin. It is always interesting the reaction that people have had to me when I casually mention, you know, oh, I need to make sure I take my my diabetes meds. And I'm like, "Hmm? okay, I didn't know you had diabetes. Like, you know, how much insulin are you taking? I'm like, I I don't. Um, I take some bill-based medication to help me regulate. And they're like, oh, 
Okay. And you just already see the wheels turning of like, oh, you did something that got you here. Oh, because this isn't, you know, a uh, full on genetic mutation for you. Um, it's your fault that you're sitting here. You kind of see them wrestling, especially if they've known you for a while. I've seen this mostly in work environments where it's like, oh, well, you don't, you know, seem like you're not oh crazy obese, you know, and I've seen you eat this and that. Like you can just see that conversation in their mind that's happening. Um, and, you know, it's assumption here. I, I would have to ask them, you know, what they thought in that moment, but that's kind of what you see. Um, and especially when you start to get in the online space, for me, that's where I found the most lack of understanding and information. I saw such a huge supportive community for type ones at the time. Um, and it was either people who had lived with it since they were young um, or parents. And I felt like I had no right to even look at those blogs or engage in those communities because it's like, I can't understand. And sometimes you're, you're made to feel bad because it's like, Hey, your pancreas still kind of works though. So, you know, if you would just do what you're supposed to do, um, you wouldn't have to deal with this. I, I can't ever get away from this. You have a chance, you know, that kind of thing. And so you're you're hit from this both sides of like, you know, you cause this on yourself and you have an opportunity to carry the torch and get away from something that I can't. And it creates this weird balance of emotions of like, are you jealous of me? I didn't ask for this, just like you didn't ask for this. Um, but the way that you're acting towards me feels like I can never empathize or relate. Um, and that my heart isn't enough hard, you know, versus your heart is your heart. My heart is my heart. You know, we both can, can level with each other there. Um, and then just experiencing that people automatically assume things when you hear type two, um, outside of just looking at you up and down, like, oh yeah, you do look like you probably shouldn't lose a couple of pounds. And then, you know, or huh, you don't look like <laughs> you're having any issues, things like that. And that's, that's probably the one that irks me the most. Um, I loved the, all the memes and TikToks of like, Hey, you don't look like this. And people are like acting out the stereotypical reactions to things. Those are my favorite. Um, because it's like, what is that supposed to look like? You know? And, and how is that, um, where are you getting these ideas that this is what this looks like? And that's probably the biggest question that I always have. Um, because it's so passive. When we think about it, and I started thinking about, you know, TV and media and diabetes being the end joke. And it's always from a character that is overweight and out of breath and, you know, a lot older, I will say. Um, so it's kind of hard to relate because, you know, for type two, especially, usually you're hearing about this after 35. And here I am well ahead of the times, <laughs> you know <laughs> what I mean? So it's it's definitely been difficult because you don't get as much information about medications that can help you. I'm on a regimen that has helped me much further than metformin has ever done. Now, metformin is a part of the med, but the combination um, medication, the, you know, Sinjardi version, uh, along with a shot like Ozempic, um, I'm having the best numbers that I've had in a while. Now, there's still some moments where like my appetite's a little weird and I don't like, you know, that I'm not eating regularly. Um, but overall, where was this at the beginning? Why did it take me five years to get here to this? How come I never knew about a CGM or no one even thought to bat an eyelash about that? Why didn't anybody tell me that I might want to see an endocrinologist? Why was it until I was asking for a CGM that I now need to go talk to an endocrinologist? So it's just, it's a twofold system of the lack of information from medical professionals. And I don't blame them. I do blame the institutions that are teaching them this of 
hey, if you're dealing with somebody whose numbers, and I'm not just even talking about diabetes, if they're not meeting their metrics, scare the shit out of them, and then they'll finally get on board. <laughs> and that's what happens with a lot of people in type two is they're never advocated for. They're always kind of looked down upon. And then they're scared because they're saying you're going to have to do this thing. And this thing is bad. So if you have to do this thing, you know, you, you're basically, you, you failed the test. You're, you're, you're going to have to retake the whole school year kind of thing. And to mm-hmm. me, that's, that's the thing that pisses me off. So I made sure that when I search for a new uh, primary, I had a very straightforward conversation with her. I said, I want you to tell it to me straight. Don't get me wrong, but here's, here are my goals. And I will not accept these kind of tactics in that also why I chose women is, you know, I'm not about to sit here and be intimidated by another woman. We do that too much all day long. So be real with me. Um, but let me speak on what I got going on. So it's, it's a mixed bag because I've seen it more externally with my parents, but I've, I've experienced it passively with myself. Right. And I think to your point, I mean, even in my experience of being diagnosed, because I mean, for anybody listening, you know that I was diagnosed at 19 and similar to your journey, you were, you were diagnosed as a young adult. And I think one thing that people try to be comforting about, and I'm using that in air quotes because now I realize how honestly fucked up it was, <laughs> but you know, when being diagnosed with type one, you know, you'd hear all of those people ask like, oh, well, were you diagnosed with the good or the bad kind? And it's like, well, hold on. First of all, nobody asked to be diagnosed with diabetes, whether you're type one or type two, I could be diagnosed with type two and I still didn't ask for it. Um, but you know, and then you, like, I was at a party one time cause I was a freshman in college and one of my friends came up to me and she's like, Oh my God, I heard that you were diagnosed with diabetes, but like, you don't look diabetic. And like, here I am this like five foot two petite little person. Like, of like, what, what are we saying that diabetes looks like? And I think that's where we fall into these, again, you know, we have such a stigma in not only the media, but your like entertainment and now online when we're seeing it everywhere in social media. And what I found a lot on Instagram is now in the type one community, I completely understand why you didn't feel represented or you didn't feel almost welcome because there's so many people posting, um, oh, like, like I see for Valentine's day, you know, the, um, the quote cards that are like, find someone that knows the difference between type one or type two. And like, you know, all these things of like, just these posts that are meant to be maybe educational and or informative on what the difference between type one and type two are. And that's fine. There are differences in how our body works, but it's almost like there's a dig, like, like you were saying, it's almost yeah. like, and I don't think that's appropriate either. And so we're kind of using it as this defense mechanism. And it's like, why are we doing that when we can team up as a community in general? And I just, I just don't understand. And then in kind of the aspect of like your mom and her diagnosis and being kind of like threatened with insulin, it's like, at what point does that become disordered? At what point do we like, is insulin it's demonized so much for the type two community, but yet for the type one community where being it's looked at as like it, it saved my life. So why is there such a separation? I, I just don't really fully understand it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's crazy because, you know, the wellness industry in general has blown up and it's, it's riding the capitalism wave. We all are aware of that. And you just have to pick and choose, um, you know, what brands and companies uh, feel holistic to you. Right. Um, but that's the thing I've also even seen in the type two community is this rise of extreme ways of eating to 
push you of like, hey, type two diabetes is is an epidemic. It's it's taking over and it's affecting people younger and younger and all this stuff like that. And it's pushing this culture that, you know, nobody talks about. I, I only just heard about like diabolemia within the last year. I didn't even know that was a thing. Right. And I know it's specific to type ones, but I'm like, at the same time, with the way that medical professionals are operating now, and then the way that the wellness industry is operating now when it comes to diabetes, if it's not anybody who's insulin dependent, as in you absolutely have to have it, which means that a lot of type twos who end up on insulin already are psychologically damaged by all of this, it's you need to do keto. You need to go hardcore vegan. You need to do this and it's going to reverse everything or take that and it's going to reverse everything. And, and there's even debate about do we even say reverse or do we say remission? You know, and it's like, well, is diabetes like a cancer? Like, I don't want it to seem like it's that intense because my God, cancer is cancer. And, and that's a whole separate entity in itself. So it's just pushed at this level of. I don't feel like people understand the mental and almost spiritual causes that it's doing to people because it's making it seem like, okay, I'm not good enough because I didn't develop the mutation that no longer allows me to make insulin. And I I can only feel even more empathy because again, we were diagnosed in similar, you know, stages. Um, And so some of that relief in a way of like, okay, well, people don't assume that it's type two. So I'm not, I'm not a bad person because I didn't bring this on myself. And I have friends, um, you know, and people that I've met in the community who, like you said, were misdiagnosed, which made me think back, Hey, why didn't, did my actual doctor run everything to make sure I was the right type? Cause when I found and met other women who were like, in their mid twenties or something like that, and they were diagnosed type two. And then later on re-diagnosed as lot of I went into a panic because I'm like, my numbers weren't great. They were, they weren't going crazy high, but they weren't moving anywhere either. So I'm like, well, what if I was misdiagnosed? And I remember having that feeling of like, what if I have to start taking insulin? I have to do this for the rest of my life. And I'm on, you know, at least the first couple of years of healing in hindsight, my thought was like, I'm going to go through this journey of trying to reverse my diabetes. And I want to share it with y'all so y'all can do it too. And I'm glad I dropped that whole MO because it's, it's so much more complicated than that. But that's what I felt of like, what if I'm trapped in this? Because no one ever made it clear that neither is wrong. It's just one can be slowly brought on more than the other. And one has a bit more public facing um, empathy and the other has more public facing demonizing than the other versus just treating it the same and adjusting small things to the type that you have. And so it's, it's increasingly frustrating to see the potential that we are causing a lot of harm and we might even be creating more eating disorders or mental disorders because of the fact that we are treating them so separately and, and ostracizing people and kind of turning our backs on, uh, you can't sit with us because you don't know what it's like to wear an insulin pump. You know, and so it, it makes it frustrating because it's like, well, I know what it means to have a low. I know what it means to have a high. And I remember um, when I was in San Diego at one point meeting with, um, you know, a company that I was working with and she's type one, one of their, you know, head uh, medical professionals. And I was going high and my CGM was going off and we compared and she's like, oh my God. She's like, and you can't do anything about it. I'm like, not really. I can go for a walk. I can drink a shit ton of water, but like, I don't, I can't bolus for anything. Like I still 
that like god bless y'all because math is not my favorite so they even have to think that i would have to do that like no i I don't, I don't have a way to to course correct with insulin to make sure i don't stay there which means i'm at some higher risk of things of things going wrong because my body is staying in this strained state until it's ready to come down and so it's those connections that i really wish that we had of like you know i had a donut for breakfast this morning no shame in it it was great <laughs> and I could go to a post and I could post, hey, Taylor had a donut today. Here's where my blood sugars are right now. They probably in like 250 or something like that. I don't know. Um, and then someone else with type one um, could post, hey, here's my blood sugars after eating a donut. But it's cool. I just took like this many units and it's coming down. But yet, if I were to put that in like a Facebook group, I would oh. get ripped apart. Mm-hmm. Of like, do you know how many carbs is that? Do you know this is why your numbers stay elevated? Da, 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 da. Like, it, it would it would be a witch hunt to shame me for just having a fucking donut. <laughs> I didn't eat the whole box. I had one. You know what I mean? So it, it's crazy how um, within our communities and type two, type twos, we are savage to each other. If you ever venture into um, some of those Facebook groups, especially the ones that surround um, certain ways of eating, some of the group rules will even tell you, you can only talk about this way of eating. If you don't, you will be, um, you know, uh, uh, silenced for 24 hours or whatever. Or if you keep doing it, you'll be banned. Oh, absolutely. Um, Some of them are keto groups. Some of them are vegan groups. Some of them are, there's what, the carnivore diet. And hey, by all means, I have nothing against keto. I have nothing against veganism. None of that. Um, I believe in doing what is best by your body. And if that's what works for you, great. It is the cultish like communities that make you feel bad because I can consume a little bit more carbs than you can mm-hmm. or vice versa. You know, it, it, it just gets really, really, it's like, are we back in high school? I would like to leave that behind. <laughs> right. Is this, an, is this Mean Girls? Like, I don't remember walking or watching that movie again. Um, no, but yeah, I even read online sometimes people saying, oh, we need to create different, you know, medical terms for type one and type two. They need to be completely separate. And to your point, like there are so many similarities. It's either way, it's a blood sugar dysregulation. That, that's it. It's the method of treatment that's different. So why are we getting so tossed up about a name? Like if, if it's really not that separate. Um, but something I did want to ask you about, because, you know, I've, I've seen certain statistics of, you know, uh, number one, you know, women generally. Um, and I think the, the stat that I read was more in, in terms of pain. Um, but we're not taken as seriously in the medical world as maybe a man is. And then to take it a step further, the statistic against, um, you know, women of color are taken even less seriously. So I'm just curious in your experience. I mean, I know that you had the one experience with the male doctor, but do you think that would have been a different experience if maybe you weren't a woman of color, you had a different doctor, like, where do you stand in that aspect? Yeah. You know, it's, it's really weird. Um, I thought about this, especially when I learned where that stat kind of comes from. Um, so the, the father of gynecology, if you will, um, you know, was experimenting on black women, um, when all of the different tools and ways of doing your normal OBGYN check-ins that we understand today, um, he wrote basically that black women were more tolerant of pain than let's say white women. Uh, I don't know if he was doing any experience on other races at the time. Um, so in this, and he's sharing this like, Hey, and doing these 
extremely mutilating, you know, uh, experiments, um, they could take pain longer or whatever. And it's just like, no, nah, that ain't it. <laughs> that's, that's not it, doc, at all. Um, and it's become passively passed down. Um, and then you add in the additional layers of what, you know, our cultural history has been between different, you know, communities of color and races or whatever. If you and I having similar disease, right, were in an emergency room and we're both saying, hey, um, I need I need some juice or something. I need this. I need this. I'm, I'm going low or whatever. It's more probable that you would get served first than me just because of people's passive conditions and biases and prejudice. Um, now, with that same doctor, I don't know if I would have been treated different if I was white. Um, I don't know if uh, I would get a better level of respect um, because I've that one moment ensured that I have always found not only a female doctor, but a female doctor of color. So my first, the one who diagnosed me, she was Asian. Uh, the second one and my current one, she's black. Um, now my endo uh, was the only person that I stepped out of that norm because I could not find one. Um, he was a doctor of color, um, but he still followed um, kind of what I would have expected from a white doctor. Um, he was Middle Eastern and there's already a, a deep history in that. Um, and so, although he was nice, I went off of all the reviews, stuff like that. He still said, drop 40 pounds, do cardio four to five times a week. And I really feel like, you know, he did give me a better medication regimen. I will say that. But even after I explained everything to him and asked questions of like, I don't know, uh, you know, what my natural weight should be. And I feel like that's a fair question to ask, but it triggers, we had the BMI conversation. And based off the BMI chart, which is on an average size white male, was never redone on anybody else and is literally hundreds of years old. Um, I really wish we would do away with that system or redo it <laughs> to account for um, different heights, weights, things like that. Um, I'm supposed to be anywhere from 135 to 140 pounds. I ain't been that since high school. <laughs> and, you know, I'm sitting between 180 and 190 and I don't feel bad at this weight per se. Are there areas do I want to fine tune? Sure. But that number just made me feel like, okay, I just have to be this tiny starving thing just to, and he was talking about completely reverse my diabetes. He said, I think if you did that, you wouldn't even have to worry about diabetes anymore. Now, if it, you gained it back, not only are you going to have to worry about it, but it's going to come back even stronger. I sat in my car and cried after that appointment. That was my first endocrinology appointment. And I was just like, hey, why would you say that to a woman? Just in general, like we aren't hit with every beauty standard possible trying to meet. And, and two, why wouldn't you try to have a dialogue about exercise and eating? Because he was like, get a carb counting app. I was like, been there, done that. And fuck that. I'm not doing it. Like you can miss me with that doc. I'm not doing it. Um, you know, all of these things. And it was funny because I have a three strike rule with doctors. And on my third appointment, he let me know that he's actually leaving the clinic. And I got transitioned to this female doctor. And even though she's white. My first appointment with her, I felt more seen than I had in so long because I've been fighting with my insurance to reapprove my medication because it switched from my uh, previous company. And so she was like, you know, it really frustrates me that A, you're having to fight for this when you clearly have taken it before. Um, and B, 
that if weight is one of the biggest issues in type 2 diabetes, that y'all are making it so difficult to get medication that can help regulate that. Um, Because the GLP-1s are on the rise. There's a whole company now that's basically taking Ozempic and saying, hey, if you sign up for our program for a year, we'll work with your insurance to get this same shot that will help you lose weight. And if it helps your diabetes too, that's great. Like they'll, they'll still see those living with diabetes. But Ozempic is now being modeled as a weight loss program, basically, under another name. And I'm like, if that's half the issue, why don't you make this accessible to us? And let us be able to decide, like, do I want to use medication to lose weight or do I want to use diet excess, whatever? Like, what? what? <laughs> make it make sense. You know, so it's it's hard to say how because I've just set up so much defense mechanisms against having that happen. Um, I do feel like there are moments, though, that when I'm out with my partner and I've said, hey, can I get this without leading in with the diabetes aspect? And it seems like I'm ignored. And then he steps in and says, hey, I need you to get this for her. She has a medical condition. We need this. And immediately. And I'm like, I feel like it shouldn't even take that. If I'm saying, hey, I really do need this, then fucking go get it. Like, I don't understand. (laughs) You know, so there there are small instances where I do see me being a woman um, play into why I can't get support immediately. And you know, he's a combat medic in the army. So he's used to like, I have to dump, jump in and dive. And I never make him feel bad about it. I think there was only one time where I was like, hey, in this particular moment, I need you to not step in for me. Because if they don't learn to respect me now, they will never do it later. And they will always look to you to be the one to have all the answers to. I get you're protecting me. I appreciate it. Super hot, by the way. But but let me go in on this one. They need to learn today. <laughs> you know, so um, it's, it, it's it's difficult, you know, it's because I don't want to have to think about that, that yeah. you only hop to it because he he puffed his chest out. Mm-hmm. You know? And and just in kind of your response, it's like thinking, you know, how much of this is an individual basis? Like how much of this is these individual doctors, um, their perspective on things or not even perspective, that's not the right word, but their attitude towards things and how much of it is that systemic of, you know, where they went to school and the healthcare uh, field in general. And I feel like things are hopefully going in the direction where things are changing, you know, more medical providers have those, their eyes open to, you know, that these different biases and in, in general, um, I actually, before recording this, just got off a call um, as I enrolled in a program, it's called the inclusive diabetes care. Um, there's a membership and it's all these different healthcare professionals within the diabetes space, endocrinologists, nurses, dietitians, even coaches can join. And, you know, I was on this call and a lot of people are saying like, we recognize this is happening. We just don't really know what to do about it. We don't know what language, we don't know what biases that we're not seeing. So we want to have our you know, we want to learn more and we want to have a different approach to, um, you know, being inclusive on people's color, people's weight, people's ethnicities and their cultures. And I think it's really important that people are starting to pick up on it. I think it's taken a lot to get there. And I think there's still a lot of work to do. Um, But just going into your, your experience, you know, it's very evident that it's still so prevalent today, not only in the, in the doctor's office, but, you know, social media and online too. So I I definitely think it's important for people to start recognizing for sure. Yeah. And especially when it comes to, I think the, the, a good core starting point 
outside of, I think everybody should take, um, and I have to look to see where I can find uh, some of the online quizzes, but like find a way to take any type of uh, test for what your natural biases are. We all have them like straight up. It's, it's not uh, to make anybody feel bad. I, I've had, you know, especially in the last couple of years, people feel a little triggered when it's like, I'm not biased. It's like, yes, you are. And it's okay, but know what they are so you can adjust how that is. So one of my biases is, you know, hetero straight white men. And that when I come in contact with them, I have to be very cognizant of how I act because I naturally want to get aggressive to prove that I'm worthy of standing here. Right. Um, and the same goes for everything else. You know, there's certain things that we react to. Um, and it's, it's yeah, part of our, our cultural conditioning. You know, there's a lot that's been thrown at us that we've been taught. And then, you know, even in my own family, I was taught, hey, be careful how you speak. Make sure that you can speak proper English, things like that, because of how people will look at you if you get sister girlhood on somebody and they're going to think that you're uneducated, you know, those kind of things. But if we learn what they are, we can start to scale back and realize when we're reacting that way. And the reason why I bring that up is something that I feel is a good starting point for anybody is food deserts. You can tell me all day long that I need to eat healthy and do all these things. But if the only access that I have is maybe a liquor store, two corner stores that sell nothing but like all the snacks that you can think about and no actual like produce of anything of any quality, not everybody's got a Whole Foods on, on the corner of their block or can afford it if it was, right? And so I feel like if medical professionals who want to get into that conversation with their patients about, okay, you want to change your diet, what access do you have? Do you have access to delivery? What's your budget whenever you're doing this? How can we figure out how to swap out some of your favorites for maybe other brands that do the same thing, but make it accessible, you know, in a, in a healthier way. What cultural foods do you eat a lot? Is there any particular cuisine that you invest in a lot? I eat a lot of Asian and not just Thai, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so I try to look at, okay, if I really feel like a uh, really good Japanese ramen, what do I do with that? You know what I mean? And, and I feel like even starting with what access do you have could change the conversation so much because it's acknowledging, hey, I don't have the same setup. And part of the frustration that I feel a lot of, and I'll speak for myself, but you know, hopefully if you're listening, you can chime into you on, on if this is the same for you, that a lot of communities of color, that's half the battle is our communities don't have the same access to those type of things. And so that's why we sit and look at some of these things that are popping up of some of these, there's, there's supplements and all these things popping up. And I'm like, I can't even afford that. That's a car note. That's this, that's that. Like, how can I ever think to get on the track of being healthier, doing something better when I'm already defeated before I can even pull up the website to even see, you know, I feel like if they started there, they not only would get a lot more feedback, but they probably get a little bit more trust in that. Okay. You're not trying to sell me the pipe dream of, um, you know, I need to be able to shop at Whole Foods every week or you're not defeating me as soon as we have the conversation. Um, and this is just going to create a cycle of you prescribing me more and more medication, which I don't know if you're doing that for my benefit or just because it puts money in your pocket. Um, and I'm going to start off this relationship being lectured at. And I'm an adult. You know, so I really feel like if they would just meet people where they're at in their community, it, it could it could go a long way. 
Absolutely. I feel like it goes the same with the health and wellness space, even online, you know, just, I mean, I will be very transparent and that I know that my community is majority white. Most of my clients are majority white and I, I very well acknowledge that. And then, and I think, you know, obviously coming from the perspective of like, I'm showing up online as this petite white person who's in, you know, I, I, adequate health, you know, uh, in comparison to where I was before there are these biases or, you know, this way of I'm coming off online. And I think that goes for a lot of the health and wellness space online too. Like when you were doing yoga classes and you were eating avocados every day and, you know, like going to whole foods and all these things, you're not really attracting yourself to people who can't afford that, or that's not as accessible around them. So I think it does go both ways. And that's where I think that, you know, having these conversations is very important, or at least opening up that conversation of like, Hey, like we aren't, we don't all have the same access. We don't all have the same resources. How do we meet you halfway? Or how do we make this more accessible to people who just in general, like we, we, t- we talk about, talk about insulin affordability and insulin accessibility in the type one community where are we walking the talking to talk on other topics too, and other categories? I just think it, you know, it all comes hand in hand in a lot of places and yeah, just opening up the the can of worms and opening up the conversation is the first place to start. Yeah. And it's scary you know, don't get me wrong. I mean, we've, we've been rocked the last five years, right? We've been rocked and a lot has come to the surface, a lot that we have to absorb and try to dissect. And then, you know, then we spent a year, basically by ourselves, dealing with ourselves and the stuff that we've passively buried and weren't sure about and all these things. And then we learned about people around us and are they actually for us or, oh my God, I didn't know you have those views because we've been in this kind of hamster wheel of just keep running. Don't look around you. Don't realize you're in a cage. Don't realize none of that. And so that's a lot for your mind to try to process and fill in the blanks for. I think having the conversation is a great start. And like you said, taking steps and recognizing what those steps are is a great start. Um, I do want to play devil's advocate a little bit. And I know that sometimes this gets weird in the the community because like we're like reparations, reparations, I get it. But there also has to be balance too. Because at the same time, if I'm sitting here saying, hey, uh, why aren't there enough grocery stores and things like that that support what I need? But I do or I am able to afford those things, I don't want to feel bad about it either. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and you see that in those classic like come up stories like, oh, I used to be a drug dealer and now I'm I'm Jay-Z. You know what I mean? Are we going to be mad at Jay-Z for buying all the things? No. Like if, if you earned it, go for it. And, and I feel like that's one area in the wellness industry where we see, you know, folks like yourself, where you've worked hard to help people and you've gotten a payoff for it. And so if you want to have avocado toast and fancy iced coffee every morning and take a picture of it, by all fucking means, right? You know, I, I never want anybody to feel like they have to hide their luxuries or not be able to enjoy their luxuries because there's hurt in the world. There always will be, unfortunately. But if your actions of you're supporting my people, you're having conversations you're, you're making efforts to expand your mind and you're making efforts to clue your own audience in and you're making efforts to maybe even seek out those clients so you can have more deeper experience of those who are outside your norm. To me, that more than earns your avocado toast and your, your cute iced coffee. I like avocado toast and cute iced coffee. So like, I'm not gonna feel bad about that. And I think that's where we just have to online find that balance of like, you know, I, I, I don't know if you've heard this in, the, in our, you know, diabetes community too about like, um, 
influencer diabetics who only show the good days mm-hmm. and not the hard days. And I take a little bit of issue with that because I'm like, I almost feel like how fucked up is it that I'm having a whole breakdown and I need to take a picture of it to prove that I have breakdowns. You know what I mean? Like in a way we've created social media to show the happy moments of our lives to say, Hey, at least I'm having a good day. Word to ice cube. You know what I mean? Like we've conditioned that in that. Now, if we want to turn on or, or pull back that filter, I think that's up to the individual. And I don't think anybody should be demonized for saying, why don't you show the hard days? Because you couldn't handle it. You really couldn't. You really couldn't handle how messed up or how many days or how long it took me to refilm this video so it looks great for y'all. Like People don't ever take that into account. Um, And I feel like if you're doing what you feel is the right thing to do um, in terms of supporting humanity and every culture that's in it, then you should be able to enjoy the spoils of doing that effort too. It's definitely an interesting perspective because sometimes like I do see people posting their luxurious house or their, uh, you know, their sponsorship with Dexcom or like all these things. And I'm like, dude, like read the room, like the people who are following you don't always have those luxuries. So I I do think it's important to have both perspectives. Like, so I, I absolutely see what you're saying. Um, but as far as like what you've been doing, cause obviously you have your own podcast, you have your own platform. I'm just curious for you to explain just kind of like what you've been doing to almost like you've been like bridging the gap. You've been having these conversations. You've been just kind of, I feel like you've been bringing a lot of the type one type two community together, just in seeing who your guests have been, the conversations that you've been having. Um, so yeah, I just would love for you to talk more about what you're doing in the diabetes space and, um, yeah, just that experience so far. Yeah. You know, this is going to be an interesting question because um, it started out primarily focused on type two because I didn't see it. You know, I saw uh, uh, what 2015 was like when blogging took off and everybody was like making money as a blogger. And I'm like, oh, me too. Right. (laughs) And so I just come out of a temp job. Um, I was about to ride the unemployment wave and I was like, okay, I need to do something. And I don't know what it is that I want to do. I've always been a creative. So I knew I always wanted to have my own something. I don't know if business was the word at the time, but just I wanted to have my own something to you know, show my creativity and still impact change. I don't know. So I have the same birthday as MLK. And my grandma used to be like, you know, you got the same birthday, so you got to do something great. I'm like, well, you saw what happened to him. So I don't. I don't know if I was ready to subscribe to that just yet, uh, but I do feel like, you know, I'm, I'm meant to leave my mark in history in some kind of way, no matter how big or small. So I noticed eh, two, two to three main things. I didn't see a lot of type two anything anywhere that had the same level of empathy and community that I saw for type one. I didn't see a lot of people my age. So that's the millennials. Um, so that way I could understand, okay, as someone 25 having to now take medication and deal with an illness, like, what do I do that weren't extreme things? Right. Like, you know, I, again, I would never compare this to like cancer or something like that. Like it's, you know, um, and then that looked like me like, okay, sure. I have my parents, but they weren't 25 and living on their own. And, you know, my parents have been together since they were 21 and they had me and my sister. So like they, they had a whole ass family <laughs> by the time they were 25. Um, but for me, it's different, you know? And so um, I, I didn't know how to relate to anybody. So healing in hindsight was born out of that idea of 
okay, I want to serve millennials for sure. And I do want to have representation for those who are people of color, because I get it when you don't see yourself in somebody, it's hard to relate. Even though, you, you know, I've found people like my podcast mentors are white and they're great, you know, but they've made efforts to really make sure that they are doing their part to understand my perspective too, because it's always different. Um, and even if you saw multiple white people, each of y'all's experience is still different, right? And so it's just never dawned on a lot of people that your cultural background may take a point. But I'm like, if we literally all look the same, it'd still be somewhat the same. You'd still find something different and there's still a different story to that. So why can't we get with that? I don't understand. Um, so millennials, people of color and representation. And originally, here's my journey, because everybody liked to share their their journey of weight loss or overcoming some health thing. You know, it, it was kind of the meta at the time. Really weird. Um, but let me do this. And this will be kind of my accountability as a blog of what it's like living with diabetes as a millennial and as a woman of color and pushing towards reversal. Because that's all I've I've heard is that it ain't the end of the world. It's not a death sentence. You can, you know, come back from it. And I do love to write. And so I thought blogging was going to be a, a natural thing for me to do. But because it's something medical, I was like, I need peer reviews. I need a whole doctor's team. I need it. Yeah, I'm like, I didn't feel confident writing and saying, here's how you do this. Because it's coming from my perspective. And it was that imposter syndrome of who the hell am I? And why should anybody care why I'm sharing my five tips for lower blood sugar or whatever I was doing at the time? Um, and that's also not the type of writing that I wanted to do. Even though when you do all the social media research, even to this day, you know, the how-to tips, the three ways to, you know, place your CGM. And, all that, and I'm like, that shit's boring to me. Like, and I'm grateful for the people that do it. Don't get me wrong. Like, it does help people. But I just felt so surface level. So. Healing in Hindsight sat for five years, actually. Um, I would redo the site just because I love pretty websites. So I'm like, yeah, I'll redo the site. I'll write something here and there. I started the, the you know, Instagram uh, page for it, but I, I couldn't find what really was it that I was trying to say or do or be with this. And so I would let it kind of go to sleep. And then I would talk to people about my diagnosis because, again, they'd be shocked. And I would talk to them about my issues with the pharmaceutical companies and big pharma and all these other things. And they were like, man, you're really passionate about this. I was like, I am really passionate about this. This is weird. Um, I only talk about it when it's brought to me. So fast forward to uh, Panini times and myself, like many others, gets laid off. And I find myself in a you know, position because I did receive a severance and everything. So I'm like, I really should take some time off. And I'm like, healing in hindsight comes back up again. And then at this point, podcasting has taken off, right? And I'm actually moderating for my podcast mentors at the time uh, in their uh, Facebook group. And it was just like big V8 smack in the face. Duh, Taylor. Record yourself talking about this. You have these conversations all the time. You get real big on yourself. You don't, I was a trainer. I was a corporate trainer <laughs> before I came out of it. So standing up in front of people and talking and teaching was something I was naturally good at and something I really enjoyed doing. I, I, I definitely miss training. Um, and even though I'm not really here to teach people per se, if you take something from it, great. Uh, so I'm like, I grew up in studios my whole life. 
every place that we've ever lived in, my dad had a room dedicated, like it was a must, a room dedicated to him creating his music. So you basically got an audio engineer as your dad. And all you got to do is call him and ask him, what do I need if I want to record some basic audio? You've watched him do performances. You've watched him do voiceover. You like it's all, all the pieces are right there in front of me. What, what the hell are you doing? So I'm like, okay, I'm going to turn it into a podcast. I'm, I'm going to do the things. I've been listening to podcasts, I've been listening to marketing podcasts about how, like, I, I just didn't know that that's what I needed to do. So in August of 2020, uh, I created my podcast. I immediately actually filed for the LLC because of everybody else that I watched. I was like, okay, if I'm going to do this, I want to keep everything separate. And this is going to kind of tie me to something as a business owner, basically, of creating something that is so deeply a part of me because my ups and downs with diabetes were just as up and down as me taking care of this idea. Um, I would start to take care of myself and then I would stop, you know? Uh, and, and so it helped me stay with it. Um, so I decided midway through my second season, as I was trying to think of content and things, and I was kind of going through the basics and um, I leaned on friends and family to be my first kind of guest because I wasn't sure what kind of podcast I wanted to be, but I like both solo and interview style. So like, I want both. And I realized as I started connecting with more people in the online space, I was losing opportunity by limiting myself to type two because a really hard to find um, type one. You know, Lada, even Modi, like you really do see a huge online presence. Type two, we're here. But for a lot of people, they don't necessarily want to advertise it too hard if you're sharing your life online. Because, again, it takes that one I ate a donut for somebody to decide that they could to be your food police. Um, but I was like, you know, what can I learn, though? Is there anything that I can learn? Like, I'm seeing people in type one. I'm like, actually, you're putting out great content. So, like, I, I kind of want to follow. And I was like, well, maybe I should talk to other types. You know, what, what could the harm be? And, and maybe there's something. I'm a lot more bolder now. I've, I've gone through some stuff. I'm not afraid to speak up anymore, you know, that kind of thing. So maybe there's something that I could gain in that. And then I also thought about some of the friends that I've made that were just in the health space in general of, like, you don't necessarily live with this disease, but you either work with people or you have an understanding about, you know, our food system. And I mainly went for people who didn't put people in boxes because I always felt like the minute we try to put people in a box, A, you just try to make some money or B, you're not really considering the factors that makes it hard. And you're just pressuring people mentally of like, you just got to do it. You just got to do it. Like, how bad do you want it? You know, I see that choose your hard meme. And it's like, I get it. But at the same time, it pisses me off. <laughs> like, I, I, I get what you're trying to go with this. But choosing your heart between two things, you know, you either want to be fat or you don't. Like, we, you know, I was just like, all right, somebody needs to go back and rewrite that. Um, so I started to have these conversations with people outside of, you know, my type of diabetes and then outside of diabetes as well. Because I figured, one you could learn about a the disparities in communities of color. The very first podcast guest space that I did um, was with a dear friend, Britt Olson. Um, and, you know, she wanted to talk about that. And as we're talking about me and diabetes and her being, you know, a health coach as well, we had a great conversation afterwards of like, 
there's so much that I could have seen in clients that, you know, if they're dealing with a chronic illness of some sort, and she had some, you know, some familiarity with it with her husband, but I'm realizing gaps and that even though I live with diabetes, we're still joining those master classes. We're still signing up for these services because we're trying to find something to connect with to A, feel normal, and then B, to try to help this along. But a lot of us hide it, right? So providing perspective on here are services that can still help you, even if it's not diabetes specific. Um, because we all want better mental health. We all want better spiritual health. We all want to feel connected with our bodies. Um, a lot of us are mad with our bodies, right? So let's find a way to have that, you know, symbiotic relationship. Um, and then in talking with other type ones, I have to actually thank Clubhouse for that <laughs> uh, because I went in, you know, trying, and I, I was in Clubhouse pretty early. I was trying to ride the wave of like, all right, I'm doing the show. I'm getting people and and I want to meet others. And I met, um, she's listed as Diabetes Bay on Instagram. Um, and she's a nurse. Uh, she's a black woman. And she also lives with type one. And so we sat in that clubhouse room, just her and I. I think we only had two other people that might have popped in at the time for like six hours straight. And only one other gentleman joined us who was also, he was recently diagnosed as type one. And, and he was a black man as well. And they were telling me about what did your endo say? And when I'm like, what's this endo thing word that you're saying to me right now? What, what does that mean? They're like, oh, you're endocrinologist. Yeah. So repeat question, but just longer word. <laughs> and they were like, they're, they're basically a doctor that specializes in hormones, i.e. insulin. Um, you know, sometimes they work with, um, you know, women in, who are trying to get pregnant, but diabetes is like their specialty. I was like, type one person say what? Like, <laughs> excuse me. Um, they're like, yeah, like I work with my endo more than I do my primary when it comes to my diabetes stuff. That's why I'm getting my tests done through. That's who approves my CGM. So I was like, oh, okay, well, drop the dark. Let's do it. And as soon as I started looking for an endo and asking my primary, hey, I really would like to try a CGM. I've been doing the strip things for a while, for a while. It's not helping. Um, that's when she was like, okay, I feel, I would feel better if you went to an endo to, you know, see if that's the better thing. And then even funnier, my dietitian actually was the one who got me my CGM, but I still went to an endo. And even so, even though my interaction with my endo had me feeling like I was back in high school and the whole mean girl situation, um, the, the core of it was he provided me with medications that were way more advanced than what I've been taking for years. And absolutely was down with me having a CGM. And I went from an eight point something to like a 6.7 in like the four months that I had started seeing him. And I'd always been considered uncontrolled ever since I was diagnosed. And that was the first time that I'd actually seen real progress because I, A, I had the numbers in front of me. I can make pivots and changes in the moment. And I never would have known that that was even a possibility for me had I not sat down and had a six-hour conversation with somebody who would live with type 1. And so it just really rang true in, for me of like, it's no different than us being humans, honestly, mm -hmm. when you think about it. So I'm a woman, you're a woman. That There's the common functionality there. I happen to be Black and Asian. You happen to be white. I'm sure you're, you have a plethora of cool cultures you know, in your DNA, right? Um, 
So the only thing that makes us different are those factors and the facial features. But I have a period, you got a period, right? So why is diabetes any different, especially now that we're learning? When I learned about Modi, my mind was blown. Like, there's 15 types within Modi? Like, why don't we know about this? There's a type C? Why don't we know about this? So you're telling me that diabetes is the core anchoring factor. And we just have these small different features and we have to go about it a different way sometimes. Just how I've got really curly hair and you don't. But we both still have hair. Like that, that's to me where I was just like, okay, this is it. And to me, healing in hindsight is a lifestyle network. That's where I see it going. It's more than just a podcast. It's it's more than just, you know, needing to understand the different types. It's how do I live as Taylor first? And be able to operate with my co-pilot diabetes, whether she's staying or not. We don't know. We'll, we'll have to find out as I continue to, to work with my body. But how do I have her kicking it and not getting on my nerves? Because <laughs> she's going to get on my nerves. But how can I do it in a way that we can still travel? We can still go have fun. We can still drink. We can still do all of these things. We can still build businesses and empires and support people and, and, and have babies and all of these things. How can I do that and not feel like this, this grim reaper over my shoulder? Because you can, you can absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm meeting people every day who are doing it all the time. And so that's why healing in hindsight, because I'm recognizing things that I've learned only because of the diagnosis and I wouldn't have the foresight to see it had I not gone through it. Um, and, and I'm literally trying to heal from it. And that means other aspects of my life. Like my relationship is impacted. You know, how I interact with people is impacted. How I go about my work is impacted. Um, so I want this to be something where it's just like any other lifestyle thing that we see. The caveat is we just got this little cute Tamagotchi thing sitting on our shoulder. And sometimes it turns into a gremlin and sometimes it stays cute in its place and we have great blood sugars all day long, you know? So. <laughs> I really wish more people had that mindset of like focusing on the commonalities rather than the differences, because yeah. that's what's create that's what creates those divides in the community as a whole. Yeah. And what I love about your podcast is that you're right. It, it does seem like more of that lifestyle network, like all the things that you need when you're living with diabetes, no matter the type. Cause like just looking, I was trying to listen to an episode yesterday. I couldn't even pick an episode. There's so many, you have so many, you, you have so many of telling your journey, connecting with other people, connecting with coaches, connected, connecting with people who have um, product-based businesses, like, uh, you know, conversations for parents. Like there's literally so much that is there that I think in in correlation with uh, or in conjunction of sharing your journey, you're also allowing other people to learn more about how to navigate their own journey. And that's a really powerful thing because, I mean, I'm not sure about you, but like when I was first diagnosed, I didn't have many resources. I was going on YouTube to search type one diabetes and I found Nick Jonas and I was like, that's the most unrelatable diabetic ever. So, you know, I went to things like Tumblr. And I found one person that I followed that had type one that like somewhat resembled the lifestyle that I wanted to live. I'm like, all right, following that person from like here on out. So I think it's really important that you have created this, this space and um, just this network that, you know, is creating these connections and these resources for other people. Can you give a little bit more um, just to wrap up, you know, where people can find you, where they can connect with you, what, yeah, like just everything on 
<laughs> where people can listen to more and find more, out more about you. Yeah, thank you. Um, so at Healing in Hindsight, pretty much everywhere, I think, I think Twitter and TikTok were the only places where they said too many characters. So if you don't find healing in hindsight, then then try heal in hindsight. Uh, but like Instagram, uh, the website, healinginhindsight.com. Um, the show is on all major platforms, Apple, Amazon, Google, Spotify, and a bunch of subsidiaries because there's just so many platforms nowadays. Um, Instagram is where I hang out though. So if you ever want to ask a question, um, you know, or just see what I'm up to, um, getting ready to launch uh, season five of the show very soon and like two weeks. Um, so there'll definitely be a lot more activity there. And, and I'm, you know, really wanting to do more, especially now that I've done a, a small rebrand and again, really trying to push this lifestyle. So I'm, I'm very glad that that's speaking to you, but yeah, come hang out, um, shoot the shit. Um, I'm not a show for kids. So I'm sure if you're listening here, you know that, uh, but yeah, I just, I want to have those real talks and I want us to know that like, we're still humans and people and we still have all of the same kind of highs and lows, both literally and figuratively um, as we see normal people, air quotes, if you will. Um, but yeah, let's just, you know, navigate and, and hopefully all that I want to bring is that something inspires you to figure out what works for you. Cause what works for me might not work for you, but um, if, if one little tidbit does go for it, that that's really the core of my aim is just find what works for you. And Let's chat about it and, and have fun along the way. I love it so much. Thank you so much for coming on. I'm really excited for the the new season too. And I'm going to link everyone in the show notes to you so that they can listen to the new season too and just find out more about you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for allowing me to, to have this conversation. And I appreciate you for being bold and stepping out to do so. I know it can be hard, um, but please know uh, I'm always here if you need any support in that area. Thank you so much.